Hey man, how's it going? It's it's going. It's going. We're in yet another uh, new location as the pandemic recording continues to evolve. We are, and so we start every show with how many days we've been at home and away from the office. It feels a little disingenuous right now to actually use that number. That That's true um, if we're thinking of it in terms of how long since we've been away from the office, because... That's where we are right now. Why are we here? Because nobody's here on weekends. Exactly. It's uh, it's not like we're here to do work. It is a Saturday afternoon, so we're here because it's absolutely empty. It's just us and the uh, the fish tank. And it's cold as a motherfucker outside. It is. Um, it's It's been stupid lately with the flip-flops and the weather. If we had tried to record outside like two days ago, it would have been gorgeous. Um, today, we would be getting like frostbite out there, so... Um, outside, not such a great idea right at this moment. Yeah, I was in shorts and flip-flops walking the dog yesterday, and today uh, I, I reluctantly put on long pants. Yeah, well, even uh, even yesterday while I was working from home for the 226th day, um, I was sitting in the afternoon outside on my deck um, just because it finally got nice again. I was honestly thinking I'm going to have to put the furniture away, but uh, then it was crazy nice, but not so much today. Do you have a storage place or do you just have to find a place in your apartment? Uh, There is a little uh, storage space actually off the deck. So there's Ah. like a door out there. that It's normally where I keep like the firewood and stuff in the winter. Is that the firewood you get from Whole, whole Paycheck? Yeah, my um, free-range, grass-fed, non-GMO firewood from Whole Foods. Exactly. Organic. Organic. Organic, yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Um, that, is, that is where I store all of that. Um, I think I'll probably have enough room to fit. It's just like a little table and two chairs. I'll probably have enough room to fit it out there. Otherwise, uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. It's not a big deal. I think it's going to be a cold winter. You, make, you need to make sure you get plenty of uh, firewood. Honestly, I mean, a week ago, I was thinking I could have started the fire up because it was pretty damn cold a few of those days. So I wonder, will will Kroger deliver firewood with your groceries? That is a great question. Because they sell it. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'll have to check. That'd be interesting. I've never even searched for firewood on like the uh, the app when I place the order, but I'll have to check next time. No, well, let, let, let us know because that would be uh, – I mean, that's a whole new world there. It's going to be like – that might be the most millennial thing I've ever done is getting someone to deliver firewood to my uh, my apartment. That that would be amazing. That's uh, that that's right up there for sure. That's right up it's, there it's, for sure. It's almost on par with the idea we had the other day when uh, our friend and uh, former podcast guest uh, was under quarantine due to uh, a coronavirus test and. Uh, his his smoke alarm was dead, and uh, I had just purchased some nine volt batteries uh, for my own smoke alarm, which, by the way, were delivered with my groceries from Kroger. Uh, and we had the idea that we could call like a, a lift, and literally, because I mean, he lives maybe like eight minutes from where I am, and we could put like just a nine volt battery in the back and then have it get delivered to his house. So you all had that conversation? Well, we did. It, it came up as a possibility and that we could like, I could, uh, we were on our, our Thursday night happy hour call at the time. Uh-huh. And uh, we actually had the idea, like I could change my video feed to my cell phone and like put video into our happy hour call of like me putting the battery into the car. And then, you know, plums could do video of like, 
the driver dropping off a nine volt battery at his apartment. You all should have done that because instead I got roped into uh, drop him at, dropping a nine volt battery off <laughs> you did. to a uh, world famous game developer, uh, Plums. Yeah, yeah. Who I, um, not to put him on the spot or anything, I assume he's probably going to have some kind of like hot new game in the works because he just got that brand new iPhone. He uh, he did. He had weeks of quarantine. He did. So he should have been highly productive. And then he's got a new testing platform with the new iPhone yeah, 12. Yeah, could really churn out something with like some impressive graphics maybe, you know, just really some high-end shit. Uh, I think we'd it. both be disappointed if he doesn't come out I, with a new game. I, I don't even know if I can like still be friends with him if he doesn't. I'll be honest. Friends is a stretch anyway, isn't it? Eh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if I can stand to be acquaintances with them. I, I don't know. I'll come up with some better words. Come up, yeah, we should work on those words. <laughs> hey, Plums, in case you're listening. Actually, we know you're listening. <laughs> and we also know that you didn't work on a game for those two weeks you were quarantined, even though you should have. Yeah, yeah. No, instead, he was too busy, Mark. He was texting me about how bored he was uh, while not doing anything. Um Seems a little weird. That seems you say counter, it that way, right? Yeah. <laughs> Counterintuitive, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. When you got that time, you should probably take advantage of it. But hey, what do I know? I'm I'm not twenty. True. True. <laughs> so what are you drinking, John? I see I see you have a beer in your hand. Uh, I, I do, I do. I've I've got multiple drinks. Um my beer is the Every Vote Counts, a hazy pale ale. This one is from the Mad Tree Brewing Company uh, up in Cincinnati. We were there for uh, a work meeting uh, a couple weeks ago, I guess now. And uh, when I left, they had still big signs up about like the release for it. And they kind of tied it with a big voter registration drive, which is pretty cool. Um, so after uh, once I finally left, uh, I went ahead and grabbed a, uh, a four pack of those. And it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, it looks like they had that uh, on October 5th. And so when I went to check it in on Untapped, it turned out this was kind of a, a national collaborative effort, and uh, a whole bunch of breweries have uh, have this beer out. So yeah, that's cool. uh, that's, I had no that idea. is super cool. I yeah. I had no idea either. I thought just Madry was being the usual good citizen that they are, and uh, and and instead it uh, it's something that they participated in, which is still super super cool. I like the idea. Few days after we were up there, they had a, a positive COVID test. They did. Uh, they didn't hide it. They rolled it out. They shut down. They were shut down for quite a while. They were and uh, opened back up. Those are the sort of people I, you know, we, I, I know we both want to uh, contribute to and support and and are good people as part of the the craft beer community and the community as a whole. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It was uh, it was much appreciated, and they were pretty transparent too about. Uh, you know, they posted online when they knew that they had an employee who tested positive, and then they had also posted uh, the last time that employee had been on the premises, which uh, was the day before we had been there. A um, little, little bit of a scare, but I know uh, you, you had some inside scoop onto the health department recommendations about when you should be concerned and when when you're probably doing okay. Um, that kind of helped to alleviate some of that. But honestly, it's really good that they gave that info and yeah it was uh, it was about a week that they were shut down um they just opened back up so interestingly john um you know we try not to talk too much when we're not recording a podcast because it's podcast material exactly 
And uh, so we usually just talk trash about plums when we're just not recording. Oh, wait. We talk trash about plums while we're on the podcast. We, we, talk, uh, we yeah. talk trash about Chris, too. I mean, oh, we to do. To be fair. But Chris doesn't listen to the podcast. So, also true. So plums is sitting there laughing his ass <laughs> off, and Chris just doesn't have any idea we're trashing his. So um, so that uh, information I gave you from the health department was from the CDC, Center for Disease Control. And it, it turns out this past week they changed their criteria oh. on exposure. Okay. And if you have 15 minutes of exposure over a 24-hour period instead of 15 consecutive minutes, okay. then you need to test quarantine and with somebody that has tested positive. Right. And uh, I went out and looked at the webpage because I'm like, Oh, that sounds a little hokey. And yeah, if you go out to the CDC, they um, interesting. They uh, so so some some uh, news uh, venues picked that up, and and really the the impact of that was from a discussion standpoint is schools and libraries and other public sort of entities, you know, a little different. Yeah. So yeah, uh, absolutely. So that that kind of changes their perspective if if it's collectively over a longer period of time, then then that ratchets it down a bit. Yeah, yeah, it makes it more likely. I, I may have looked at things slightly different um, on with that guidance as opposed to what it was before. Um, we were still pretty up in the air, right? Like the person wasn't working the day we were there, so it'd have to be somebody who was there who was also there the day before with that person and then how much time you spent around them just while ordering there this was the i think it was for both of us the first time we were at mad tree since the pandemic has started I it think was yeah correct um they honestly, i thought they had a pretty good setup going in there um everything's real nice and spaced out especially outside and anytime you go to order there's like the uh, the big uh, like plexiglass at the bar between you and whoever you're talking to with like the slot at the bottom they put your beer through so um, it, it was a pretty good setup, I, I thought. So, I think so. I mean, I I don't like you. I, I really haven't gone in any place since March. Yep. Uh, Whole Foods twice uh, early in the morning. Not really done any bars and restaurants. I have been to the Wessex Farm, but mm-hmm. that's an outside venue as well, completely outside, yep. except for where you go get your beer, and it's all walled off as well. But. Um, I thought I thought Mantry had done a really good job. The spacing, I mean, it was it was designed so you were not close to anybody. Yep. And then there were three of us working, and and we were spread across two tables, so everybody was very far apart. Mm-hmm. Nobody came and bothered us from the Mantry team. Um, yeah, it was a it was a really good setup. I'm I'm curious. Of course, numbers are escalating now, and and that at least impacts my desire to to be out anywhere, but um, as they start coming back down, I'm wondering what the colder weather looks like, if they'll have any propane heaters and things like that. Yeah, because I know um, having moved up to this area about a year ago, uh, most of my time at Madtree was spent there in the winter, Um, and that whole outdoor area, they kind of had a like a giant tent set up over and they had those kind of uh, propane heaters, like area heaters out there um, that honestly you really didn't tell much of a difference between being outside quote unquote and inside. Um, 
I imagine they probably not do the tent, but could still do the heaters and kind of keep it nice. But I, I definitely agree with you. I thought their setup was really, really nice. Um, I stayed there a bit longer than anyone else. I mean, we met, it was like a random Tuesday. Um, we got there early. It was dead basically the entirety of the, the afternoon while we were there. Uh, once you guys had left, maybe between like 4.30 and 5, it started to pick up. Uh, by the time I left a little after 6, I would say uh, the majority of the tables outside had some people at them. Uh, but the nature of the setup was such that you were not feeling close to anybody while you were out there. It was still really nice and spacious. Um, there, there was a table behind me that was occupied and like those people were not close to me in the slightest. So it was a good setup. Yeah. Yeah. I, I liked it a lot. So, uh, good people. Uh, if you're in the Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati area, uh, Mad Tree, uh, always been a cool place to hang out in their old location. Now their new location and, uh, and good people, good to the community. Early in the pandemic, they were doing all the right things. Yep. They did delivery. They did curbside. They were closed. That, uh, that like beer ice cream truck was the coolest idea I yeah. think I've seen. Uh, while, while I would say Braxton gets the win for the most, um, creativity with coming up with new beers, uh, that ice cream truck idea was really cool that it would literally just drive through Cincinnati neighborhoods and you could, literally run out into the street and buy like six packs of beer off of it. And they had a, a part of their website set up. You could go to and track where it was when it was going to be in front of your house, that kind of thing. And that was a, that was a super cool idea. Yeah. I was super jealous <laughs> living out in the boonies. That wasn't an option for me. So man, we, um, you and I've both, uh, been a little busy kind of, uh, reading and, uh, and we thought we'd talk about uh, one of my favorite authors, and I think somebody that you've you decided you like quite a bit, Cory Doctorow. And um, he has a new book out, and so kind of thought maybe, um, given the times that we're in, there's uh, a lot of uh, of uh, correlation to what's going on in our world. Uh, Really unrelated to COVID, re mostly related to social justice mm -hmm. um, and um, governmental overstep and and things like that. And so, um, I know we were just chatting. I was like, Corey was talking about Corey was just kind of a natural uh, sort of thing. So uh, I go way back, but when did you first become aware of of Corey and? And oh, what goodness. was your first experiences in reading any of his stuff? Um, man, I'm trying to think of when I was first aware of him. Uh, probably sometime early on in uh, the world of Twitter was definitely how I first came across him. I couldn't pinpoint an exact year, but it was pretty, pretty early on. I was one of those people. My first Twitter account was uh, made after that. I think it was the 2007 South by Southwest where it really kind of – uh, took off and then immediately crashed all the time um, because it was overwhelmed and it was like one Ruby on Rails application and you get the uh, the the fail whale popping up all the time. Uh, but sometime after that, um, when some of the 
more prolific members of the uh, the geek community, which I say with all love, uh, you know, like Will Wheaton started to appear on there and kind of pop off uh, was was at some point. Uh, that being said, you I mean my friend Will Wheaton, your your best friend Will Wheaton, yes. Uh, I never really read any of his um, more formal works, though, honestly, until you got me to read uh, Little Brother uh, back when you and I first started working together. I was much more familiar with reading a lot of his um, articles he's written on things like uh, privacy and security. Um, so I've read a lot of those kind of essays and blog posts, um, this sort of stuff you would put on Boing Boing and whatnot. Um, I read a lot of that much, much earlier than I actually read his any of his uh, more formal published work. Yeah, and it's really hard to figure out when you started reading that because he's so prolific. He is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's just been been everywhere. Interesting, I looked it up. And so he must have joined uh, during South By as well. Oh, was so, he? Is that the, uh, so like he's March 2007 <laughs> as well. That, that'd be it. <laughs> so uh, all the cool kids joined in uh, in March of 2007. Granted, uh, my, my own, uh, I've had like 17 different Twitter accounts between that time and now. So <laughs> that, that date is long gone from anything. I own. Sure, sure. But uh, yeah, so I think um, I certainly came across him with kind of his digital rights, civil liberties. I've always been uh, a follower, super engaged, involved with the Electronic Frontier Foundation. He did some work for them. He's a fellow there and um, continues to to participate with them. But um, as an early adopter of of the web and RSS, mm-hmm. like Boing Boing was like, I can't I can't remember a time that Boing Boing wasn't in my RSS feed. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's been around for forever. I actually have no idea when it started. Sometime before I started really looking at stuff yeah. online. Yeah, I mean it was prolific when when I started reading it. It it was. Popular. I mean, I found it because it was popular, yeah, not because yeah. I found something cool. Right, yeah. right. You were you were not in the niche that <laughs> no. kind of popped off on that first. No. So, uh, so yeah. So, uh, and and so, I read a lot of his stuff. I, I'm not a sci-fi guy in general, in terms of if you call an orange a padupa dupa. And then I have to keep track of all the things that have different words for them in science fiction. Sure. I just get fucking lost. <laughs> and and it's just not something. If if I have to keep a, a, a playbook or a, a lineup card to figure out what the writer is talking about, then they're just going to lose me. So you're, you're turned off by the uh, – and I, I'd say this is someone who uh, – not, not so much these days. Uh, not that I'm against it, but just – more interested in other things but as someone who used to read a lot of science fiction uh, so you're saying you don't like the books that there's like a fucking glossary in the back with all the made-up shit in it that you have to like reference to know what they're talking about you don't like that i don't like that at all (laughs) i don't like that at all so so i like the the sci-fi that is more reasonable and so i i do uh read uh a lot of those another cool guy rob reed um he's got some interesting books that are uh are sci-fi-ish, but they're not hard to read. And uh, I didn't put him in the show notes. We'll drop him in the show notes. He's a super cool dude. And uh, he has some tentacles to some of the uh, early days of uh, video on the internet as well. Oh, okay. um, I forget his wife's name, Morgan something. 
and she was one of the uh, pioneers on um, ZDTV and some of those other things. And um, so he kind of had a had a background, was always moving behind the scenes and some of those things. Right. But uh, so a little so so Corey has uh, I I don't think he calls it a trilogy, but they're related books. Uh, the first one was Little Brother, and and so I came across that. I've read it multiple times. He Corey is interesting in that he makes his books available for free. And so I think I downloaded it, printed off the PDFs, and read, read it. I think the first – book little brother was uh early early 2000s early 2000s and and so and i was just fascinated by it and then i bought a copy and read it again and then i bought the mp3 and listened to it and the best experience for me was listening to it um that that's that's been my jam for a while and and while i still read dead tree books or Ebooks. I, I prefer to listen, and so I've read Little Brother a number of times, and and I've become sort of a, a evangelist for it, and and it's, I feel like I'm pushing drugs. Uh, I'm sure when I was telling you you had to read this <laughs> that it felt like I was a drug pusher, and uh, I've bought no less than fifteen copies. I just bought another copy uh, a few weeks ago. There's a, a young dude that's friends. Uh, He's the son of of one of Jenny's friends, and uh, he always hits me up on tech stuff. And he started asking me about security stuff. I'm like, dude, you got to read this. And and it did, he did the old, I'll blow off the old guy. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> and I asked him. Uh, he asked me something a few weeks later. I'm like, did you you go to the library and get that little brother? I haven't had time. I'm like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy it for you. Oh, you don't have to do it. I'm going to buy it for you. I'm going to put it on my front porch because I don't want to have any contact with it. Right. <laughs> especially like a 16-year-old that's in the Petri dish of a school system. Oh, God. Yeah. I just that's, I just want you to pick it up off my – That's bad in the, he's in the like, best of times. Well, I want to thank you. I said, no, you, yeah. you can thank me uh, electronically. Do it, do it by reading the book. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so he came by and got it. And I don't know if he's finished it. He's he's gotten through it, and, and he's – He's made some comments back periodically about, oh, I see what you mean about how things are going today and and such. So um, Corey followed up, and and maybe we'll dive into each book a little bit, but this isn't a book review podcast. But then he he, – so so Little Brother, kind of a modern-day 1984, is that what your assessment was? Uh, Yeah, yeah, real similar to that. Um, It's – to me, it was really the book that drives home the – the point of why privacy is important, especially to the people you always hear who say, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, what does it matter? Um, what's what's the issue if your privacy is invaded with what you're doing online, where you physically go, that sort of thing, if, if you're not doing anything wrong? And it really showcases why that can be so problematic. It vividly um, showcased the impact to everybody getting searched, mm-hmm. everybody uh, being detained, everybody being um, treated like a criminal when they had done nothing wrong, um, 
your location was a cause for you to be uh, stopped by the police or the Homeland Security and 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 all those things. And so uh, I knew the third book was coming out, and and then we started having after Brianna Taylor and and Joy, George Floyd and 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 all the people whose names we should remember for the rest of our lives. Um, finally, um, maybe we're going to make some progress with social justice because of just how damn angry we all should be and many people are. And things started happening in big cities, and it, it, it felt like the bad stuff that the government did in Little Brother – and and when port when the stuff in Portland hit, mm-hmm. that just I just like set up, and and it was like this is little brother. I mean everything that's going on there and and uh, just crazy. Yeah, and uh, I know I'm uh, I'm a little ahead of you because I've I've started reading uh, the third book, Attack Surface. Uh, not as far into it as I would like because. Um, I don't know if you have this problem, but I work too damn much. Yeah. <laughs> As we send work emails back and forth on nights and weekends all the time. But uh, I've, I've read a bit of it. And so far, it's it's really kind of um, focused, uh, I would say, even more so on the types of things very directly going on today, uh, both from the social justice side and from the... Um, just sort of uh, government corruption side as well. Um, that's kind of how things start off. Uh, and like the other books, uh, especially not not as much Homeland, but especially like Little Brother, um, it kind of starts off with a bang and, and keeps on going um, at a pretty good pace. I think what he's done too, so I, obviously I haven't started Attack uh, Surface. I wanted to reread everything again. So I re-listened to Little Brother I'm three quarters of the way through Homeland. Read them both multiple times. Um, I know what's coming up, mm-hmm. but I'm just as uh, mesmerized, uh, pissed off, um, enchanted, um, angry, all the things with both Little Brother and and now into Homeland because of mapping those to what has gone on, what is going on, um, et cetera. I thought something was interesting the other day. So so facial recognition is is been in the news for years. It's been around. They used it in a Super Bowl many, many years ago in, in Tampa, and it was super controversial. Um, but um, some courts ruled recently that the government couldn't use facial recognition, and, and one of those, I believe, was in the Portland area related to some of the things going on. And uh, the police officers, which I, I don't understand how anybody can think this is um, ethical, moral, lawful, but the police officers have now started – in some cities, but especially Portland, covering their uh, badge so that you can't identify who they are with a uh, black strip of, of fabric. And, of course, they're wearing masks and, sure. and headgear and stuff, so you can't easily identify them that way. 
And uh, I chuckled this week is that uh, so the citizens have figured out a way to do facial recognition, and it apparently is um, more successful than unsuccessful. And uh, it apparently doesn't break the law because it's not the government doing it. <laughs> and so um, that's kind of like little brother. That's kind of a win. Yeah. That's that's taking the technology that's being used against you and turn it back towards the uh, the corrupt uh, government officials and organizations that uh, that that really they're not. You, you know, the soundbite is always we're doing this to protect you. And and in fact, they're never doing it to protect you. Right, right. It's um, it's it's really easy. And I think it happens so much that, that people just say things like that, that it's, it's for protection, it's to prevent terrorism, whatever the reasoning is. Um, and it's very easy to say that without being able to or being forced to provide any sort of evidence that that's actually the case, right? There's no metrics that say that's this, it's been this successful or, or anything like that is these um, very controversial privacy invading uh, things like facial recognition get implemented. Uh, the one thing that uh, I think is, is a bit different in the case of attack surface from the other two books um, I know you had mentioned earlier in the episode that it's it's not like officially a trilogy, though there are um, many of the same characters throughout the first two books. It's the same main character in the first two books. Um, this third book, the main character is uh, a character from the first two books who played, uh, I would say, a small but very important role in both of those books. Um, but the kind of difference in this case is... Um, it's not just, you know, the person on the outside trying to stand up to the powers that be, but a person who's been on the inside doing, uh, I'll say in the best case, morally ambiguous things for like a government entity, for example, um, who's then thinking like the stuff that I'm doing is, is not good. It's, it's not right. And kind of how they handle that and compartmentalize that and, you know how they deal with it. It's a it's a very Snowden esque feel, I think, um, with with parts of this one and taking that aspect of it. I'm curious how my emotions will will present themselves when I get in there. So certainly, I've I've read about it. I did my I acquired my book through the Kickstarter. I mm -hmm. know how you got yours, and uh, so I have the uh, the uh, audio book as well. I worked. As a government employee for most of my adult life, at times there were opportunities to be involved in things that that overstepped what a government should do. And, and I don't recall ever crossing any of those lines. In fact, I recall pushing back on some. So um, there was a deputy sheriff in Franklin County, and um, he was— um, sure, he came to us. He wanted us to uh, remotely acquire a forensic copy of somebody's workstation and do the forensic analysis. My team and I did that or did that kind of stuff. And because um, he was sure that this person who was a state employee 
was plotting to kill, to poison their husband, who was another state employee. And um, I was responsible for the voice, video, and data infrastructure of the organization. And so it kind of came directly to me. But my superiors knew this was going on and and it kind of said, you know, help the law enforcement entity. And it just didn't smell right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, if you get me a warrant, I'll be glad to help. I, I, I don't have time for a warrant. This is, you know, somebody's going to die. And um, I was like, this this smells funny. And uh, I'm like, no, you need to, to get me a, a, a warrant and we'll do that. But that's it's not lawful for me to – to cross a network, right. even if it's a government um, device, it's uh, it's owned by another government agency, not the agency I work for, mm-hmm. and it's just not lawful in my reading of the law. And uh, but if you get a warrant, then I don't I don't have any issues, and we can move forward. And then suddenly the the sheriff called me, who happened to be. Uh, a distant family member of mine and was trying to browbeat me. And so it felt even worse and different and wrong and something was up. And so I refused and they're like, well, you know, this is going to be blood on your hands. And I'm like, you know, I know the judge. I used to work for the judge. You, you know, the judge just walked down the street, get a warrant. He will give you a warrant if you have, reasonable cause and we can resolve this instead you've wasted a week trying to browbeat me into doing something that i don't believe is lawful Mm -hmm. and uh and i stood my ground there was a little pressure above me i stood my ground and uh it turned out that uh the dude of the couple was friends of the sheriff and the deputy sheriff and he asked them to do a solid and like he had been surfing for cyanide and stuff on the spouse's laptop at home to kind of set her up to help in the divorce wow. proceedings. And and so, you know, it was never a legitimate thing. Right. And and I remember thinking that uh, both of these guys were longtime law enforcement officers. One had been elected multiple times. The other had served in other capacities, later became the sheriff in that county. And, uh, and they, were, they were willing to frame somebody to help them out in, in a big way, you, you know, attempted murder. Yeah, that's not like a, that's not a low-key thing. I mean, there's no. serious consequences as a result of that. It's yeah. terrifying to think somebody would be okay with doing that sort of thing to somebody else to do their friend a a solid i mean that's that's fucked up and so when you look at all the other things that go on that we find out about in investigations and and stories and uh i I don't i don't find any of them far-fetched john because of of that experience when i look at the brianna taylor case you know the the police were were adjudicated for uh, not having done anything wrong, and yet now we find that the attorney general didn't present all of the evidence to the grand jury and only presented these narrow choices that weren't really appropriate. Mm-hmm. And 
And there even is supposition that the police officer shot himself, not, you know, wasn't shot by uh, Breonna Taylor's uh, boyfriend who was firing back. Mm -hmm. And they fired round after round after round into a house that they found no drugs in. They didn't have a good warrant. They lied to get the warrant. And... um, I think Little Brother brother Homeland and probably Attack Surface, when I get to it, at least two of those have reinforced those philosophies in my head. And and so I don't know as a society where we – how we get to a spot where we trust the government. Yeah, and I know um, it's it's been a theme throughout uh, both Little Brother and Homeland, and it uh, – makes quite a return uh, even very early on within attack surface the idea of from a technology perspective the amount of oversight that is possible uh, the amount of tracking who's at a protest based on your cell phone um, the ability to within a particular geographic area um, keep tabs on what any individual is doing online uh, to the point of taking disparate devices, disparate networks, but still being able to fingerprint people to the point of correlating all of that together as long as you have access to, you know, wherever that sort of traffic uh, on the internet centralizes to, um, that sort of thing. And it's it's the kind of stuff that you and I, as people who've been involved in technology for a long time are, are terrifyingly aware is definitely possible to do. Uh, that so many people just have no clue and they think, you know, it's it's science fiction that people can do these sorts of things and, and gather this and determine all these things about me just from, uh, you know, things people think of as innocuous, like the metadata that um, that uh, just, just knowing that a certain person is communicating with these other people. Um, there's a lot you can glean from that that people say, well, it's not important because you don't know what the conversation was about. You don't know what the messages sent back and forth were, uh, but just sort of the patterns that develop as a result of that. Um, there's a lot of really terrifying things you can do. And I think to kind of circle back, it's one of the important reasons why you've encouraged so many people to read the book um, and actually start taking some of those uh, ideas a bit more seriously than they otherwise would. Yeah, I think I've – I um, a number have read it that I've done that, but I have – recommended to many, many more that I know haven't read it. And so some people are visual. So one of the other things that that I kind of have tried to push on people, you can you can believe or not believe, but but you at least ought to have a foundation for what your belief system is. I think if you read Little Brother and Homeland, your belief system should be that uh, politicians and governments are corrupt. And um, they're, they're, they work in their best interests, not in the average citizen's best interest. Occasionally we luck out because they align, mm-hmm. but most of the time they, they don't. And, and so one of the other things that I always recommend is, is there was a TV series uh, started in 2011, ended in 2016, Person of Interest. And, and I tell people all the time, that they just need to to go power watch person of interest and everything you see in that TV show it seems far fetched and all of it 
exist and is possible and was possible in 2011, 2012, and it's possible in 2020. I remember going to uh, DEF CON and uh, sometime before 2011, um, I went for about 15 years, and in one of the years, they um, they they threw up a uh, a uh, a network, and they said, "All right." They put signs up everywhere. You're, we're going to force if you're uh, if you're using the technology that T-Mobile and AT and T utilize, then your phone's going to join our network, and we're going to be able to see everything that your phone does. So that means your text messages, that means your voice, uh, live voice calls, that means you're you're leaving voicemail and all those things because we can, using $1,000 worth of antenna equipment and free software on the internet, we can force your phone without your knowledge to trick you into joining uh, our infrastructure. And... Uh, and they did it, and the room was full, and and there were people that volunteered, and and uh, I wouldn't have, but uh, <laughs> they uh, they made a call, and and then the people at the front replayed the the call, and they uh, they leaned down and left a voicemail for somebody, and then they replayed the voicemail, and 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 they had somebody volunteer. You know, to text somebody, and they text. They they read back the text, and then they read back somebody else's text. We're going to say we're not going to say what you know what number this was, but this seems kind of and it was very graphic. So somebody, it's either boyfriend girlfriend boyfriend boyfriend, um, didn't seem like it was husband and wife. Seemed kind of <laughs> illicit, and uh, and they read it back, and and of course the room lost it, and then went eerily silent. And and those sorts of things have existed forever. On one of the episodes of Person of Interest, they uh, they built out their own uh, private communication system so that they wouldn't be on the uh, cellular communications network throughout the city, so that they could move and not be tracked. You and I would call that uh, private LTE, which is <laughs> one of the things that. Uh, the company that we work with implements as for people. So uh, um, all sorts of things that, uh, that exist and, um, and track you in so many ways. And, and only reason you don't know what the results of that tracking is, is because you just haven't worked hard enough to understand what's possible. Yeah. And it's, it's actually funny. You, you give that example, um, of that talk with being able to connect a, a cellular device to a fake tower and, and gather that information. That's actually a topic that comes up uh, very early on in attack surface. Oh, does there's it? Actually, yeah, there's a sort of a government entity that is setting up fake cell towers to be able to track all the communication between uh, people who are doing government protests. So, so interesting. Yeah. So, so the discussion at, um, um, DEFCON after they did the demo was that we could roll this van up to a secure uh, government facility and force all the people's phones to come through. So nation state hacking, uh, foreign intelligence, those sorts of things, or the government could use that against you. So you go to a rally 
of your particular choice and that van with a thousand dollars worth of antenna uh, and free software sits in the middle of the you know the parking area near that mm-hmm. and just has all the text messages and voicemails and data traffic and all those sorts of things and they pa- they pass you on through to the legit towers yep. so you as an end user don't have any idea it's transparent your experience might be slower and you're like well I'm you know I'm in a There's crowd a of a thousand people, people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so um which which is what you know uh, more more traditional cyber criminals have been doing for years right like if you uh, you, you bite on a phishing attack in your email and you click on that link and it's a login page, right? And it's not the real login page, but you don't notice that. So you type in your username and password. They're going to pass your creds on to the actual site and then direct you to the actual login page so that from your perspective, everything's hunky-dory. Yeah. Um, it's just that, just even more so under the hood and even more so with technology that a lot of people I think take for granted that it's definitely secure and I'm connecting to the right place because no one can interfere with that even though it's it's extremely doable it's it's that that kind of joke and maybe you've seen it on the internet too where um, uh, about the difference between like a, a technology enthusiast and a technology professional where the, the technology enthusiast is like it's all cool and awesome and you know, I've got all the latest gadgets. I'm always buying them and filling my home and whatnot. And the technology professionals, like the most intelligent thing in my apartment is a, a network printer. And I keep a gun next to it so that if it makes a weird noise, I can shoot it because I don't trust anything yeah. anymore. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And uh, I don't know. It's 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 certainly getting worse over time. I, I've always had uncomfortable feelings have always sort of been civil liberties constitutionally um, aware, but uh, it seemed like the government took significant um, opportunistic uh, seizure of our liberties with the Patriot Act. So, so the attacks on 9-11 certainly were unprecedented. They were horrific. There was a great loss of life. But but the reaction by the government um, well exceeded an appropriate response to the the attacks and and at every level sought to um, take advantage of of people's privacy, take advantage of people's constitutional rights, clearly uh, unlawful search and seizure uh, issues, but but all well, you know we want to we want you to be safe from the terrorists. Yep. And um, you know um, it, it's just amazing that people said, yeah, I don't I don't want people to attack me. And and yet that's not happened again. And in my security days in government and what we just saw with uh, what almost happened with the governor in Michigan, um, all, all the background chatter from people like the FBI and later Homeland Security and all the documents I got when I was a uh, government security official were um, – were malicious, and white supremacy groups were the 
biggest uh, domestic terrorism threat. And in those books, they called that domestic terrorism. And then we have we have people like Timothy McVeigh and the Unabomber, and we've had a number of issues at Army bases and Air Force bases where uh, military personnel have gone rogue, and and they're all Americans, mm-hmm. and many of them are aligned with uh, uh, militias and white supremacy groups. Uh, rarely is it one of these um, um, any of the groups that uh, desire and are trying, and we should support for social justice. It's 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 almost always the other side of that spectrum. Yeah, yeah. It's. It, I think there's just there gets to be that point of so much fear that people have that you know nine eleven and what happened was such a big prolific event um that so many people were scared just because it was so prolific when like you say there there have been so many other threats that are um equally dangerous as we saw in in oklahoma city which i've i've been to the memorial in oklahoma city and i mean it's it's compelling it's completely i mean you you can't even believe it honestly when you go there and you see it um, but I think so many people after after 9-11 were so scared that that was when they came up with the idea of the Patriot Act, everybody was willing to throw away basically anything for the the ability to kind of feel warm and fuzzy, right? That like everything, we, we got some people have access to what they need now and, and I'm not doing anything wrong, so it's okay. And uh, we, we need to do this to make things safe. But what we always see from that sort of thing is kind of twofold in my opinion one you never really have a good sense of does it make any difference whatsoever does this actually help keep anybody safer because of the privacies that have been given up and the other thing that you see is that once that's been forfeit you're never gonna give it back right the patriot act was just a month or two ago renewed renewed yet again and will continue to be renewed over and over again um, because they'll always say, well, it's still dangerous, still still terrorists, still going to have to keep doing this, and it's never going to change, um, which is a humongous risk anytime you're willing to to let that moment of fear make you think, I, I, I don't really need to keep my cell phone metadata private. That's not important, so I can give that up to be safer um, when I think for the most part – it's really questionable how safe it's keeping you and there's more privacy at stake than you might think. Uh, and that's kind of a, a decision you're almost making forever when that comes up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know you and I, uh, mostly talk, uh, via, um, signal, uh, occasionally at night I'll have something that I want to send you. And for some reason, signal won't pop up correctly on my uh, iPad, and so I'll text it to you. But for the most part, we have our routine conversations on signal, even though we could have those on regular chat, and we both are iPhones, so it's it's uh, encrypted anyway. But there's that metadata thing, yep. and on signal, that doesn't exist. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, it's- so it's, it's, it's much... I think if you ex- establish those habits that they benefit you later when you need them to benefit you, um, you never know 
when the overstep from the government is going to affect you. Exactly. And and so many times that overstep happens years before you find out about it. And so it's right. not going to be, a, oh, they're making this big change. Sometimes, I know we got a few things in the show notes, there are big changes potential on the horizon that you want to prepare for. But with a lot of the things like the leaks from, from Snowden, for example, that they went on for years and years without anyone knowing and having sort of that baseline privacy focused mindset was extremely beneficial for anybody who happened to be doing it um, just because you never know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, I don't know, man. I, um, uh Sometimes when I'm doom scrolling, I, uh, <laughs> I, I get I get caught up in this, and and I uh, I dropped a couple of excerpts in from uh, Homeland, and and one's kind of long, and and I don't know that it makes sense to to read it, but it it really talks about the new reality, and one that we could be spied on and arrested, and and even tortured, and and you know what that's. That's going on on U.S. soil to U.S. citizens by U.S. government personnel today, and and that's not supposed to happen, and and yet it does because um, people throw around the T word, the terrorism word, um, and it's almost always misused, and and. A little bit disheartening with with the attempted abduction and torture of the uh, the governor uh, from Michigan. The uh, the folks that could have impacted that in a positive way um, referred to them as militia instead of terrorist, and and clearly an attack on the government. The government, the governor of Michigan is a Democrat, shouldn't make a difference to the people in power in Washington who are Republicans. But they resisted calling that terrorism because she was a Democrat. If she'd been a Republican, I guarantee you that had been a terrorist act. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's and I I think that kind of circles back to what you had said probably 30 minutes ago now, where so many times those people have uh the, the politicians have their best interests in mind, not those of the people they're supposed to be serving. And I think that's a prime example of that. It's not, hey, we need to frame this in the right way, make sure everyone knows, you know, doing that, that's terrorism. That's not an acceptable thing to do. Instead, it's, oh, I can spin this in the right way and it'll benefit me politically. So that's how I'm going to do it, even if it's bad for the population at large to do so. Um, you would hope people would be more responsible and maybe take their oath of office a little more seriously. That you know, I can't believe I even said that with a straight face because that's how jaded we are these days about this sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. There's there's an, an onus of responsibility there that so frequently gets disregarded, um, and that to me just sort of uh, drives home the fact that they aren't people you can necessarily trust and that you do need to take measures like your own privacy, like pretty seriously um, on top of everything else. That's a dumpster fire in 2020. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm clearly liberal. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I hadn't noticed. Yeah. To be honest. 
I um I'm um I voted for Barack Obama twice. He was the best um he was the best candidate based on my overall all ideology. But but even at that I was disappointed. He he carried on many of the the attacks on our constitutional rights and civil liberties that started in the Bush administration and in some cases prior to that and and he could have pivoted and and said we need to do these things but we no longer need to do these other mm-hmm. things it's it's a time for us to stop and and reflect um um an optimist most days um if I, if I haven't had a real bad night before <laughs> uh, doom uh, scrolling, but uh, um, I'm hopeful that we'll have some change. I'm hopeful that we will have some people that say enough's enough. Um, so we will, we will see how that goes. The, one, of, one of the things I did want to want to read, um, I, I got to this section. I don't know. Three or four days ago, when I when I listened to this, and when you and I were talking last night, I'm like, oh, I can't remember what chapter that was. So I actually last night jumped into the book, the HTML version of the book, and searched for about <laughs> 20 minutes to to find this. So, so this was uh, Marcus's um, father who who was having a bad time based on some historical relevance that Marcus had told uh, had talked about at the dinner table and and he said no i mean i'm sorry that you've inherited such a miserable collapsing old country a place where rich bankers own everything where you've got to be grateful for a part-time job with no benefits and no retirement plan where most where the most health insurance you can afford is being careful and hoping you don't get sick, and and that really stuck with me. And like I said, I've I've read the book before, but that stuck with me because of what's going on. I mean, I mean, even with we we've got the pandemic, and we've had relief efforts, and we find out that many of those relief efforts are. Going to the rich, mm-hmm. they're going to the bankers and the large corporations. They're not going to small business. They're not going to everyday people. They're not going to people that already needed. We're on the edge of needing help to just get by day to today. And and something else that just struck me is just wrong from a societal standpoint is that uh, I saw a, a thing the other day that said in 2009, the minimum wage was $7.75, and in 2020, the minimum wage is $7.75. It also showed the, uh, the average executive pay for large corporations, and and that has grown exponentially. And minimum wage, the people that do most of the jobs in our country – hasn't changed in years and years and years and and that's um that's inhumane i mean i mean it's not just wrong it's not just immoral it's inhumane yeah it's uh hilariously enough um i i saw the exact same graphic on the internet um and 
for me, it honestly had a pretty big impact because I remember when that minimum wage requirement changed. Uh, I was in college still when it happened. And I, I ended up getting like a 50 cent an hour raise, I think, because of that change. And it's it's insane to think over 10 years later, um, people in the workforce making minimum wage are making the exact same amount that I was making back then. That's that's crazy. Um, and it's it's not something you can live off of these days. And for the majority of the people earning that amount, to, to tie it back to your quote, they don't have health benefits as part of that job, which because here that's your employer is responsible for that if they want to give it to you or not. And then compound that then with the pandemic where Either maybe you're lucky and you get to keep your job, but you don't have health benefits. If you get sick, you're completely screwed. Um, Or you just, you know, a lot of those jobs are gone now just because so many things have closed down or had less business. Um, It's it's like the the dominoes were all kind of set up, like with the one just ready to tip over. Um, It didn't tip over like somebody smashed them all with a hammer instead uh, in around March this year. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a bad setup, and it's not it's not a reasonable way to to kind of push things forward, especially when so much effort goes into making sure that that person who's got billions of dollars uh, can pay the bare minimum in taxes. Yeah, yeah, that's where that's where the legislation goes. Yeah, it's just uh, the system is broken at so many levels. And uh, I'm hopeful for change. I'm, I'm. I feel like uh, I feel like the the people that that can should pay more taxes, and and that's a, above a certain wealth platform. And those appear to be the people that not only do they pay their fair share today, they take advantage of every loophole to to pay as little as as possible. And and they they suck the air out of uh, society. Yeah, it's uh, my my sister. My sister sent me a meme last night because um, you know, as as millennials, this is this is what we do to to cope with how bad reality gets. Is we make memes about it instead of you know, I don't know what else we could do. But um, basically, the 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 gist of the meme though was that when you propose the idea that. You know, people who are billionaires, they don't really need to be billionaires. We should be taxing those people way more uh, to contribute back more into society. And the the gist of the joke, though, was the number of people who are barely living out of poverty who get, like, almost offended by that idea. Like, like it's a terrible idea. And I'm like, I don't know if it's because they think, like, someday, someday, maybe I'll be that person who's filthy rich and I don't want to give up my money. So like, I'm going to be against it, even though like people in that circumstance would benefit greatly, I think from improved um, systems and support mechanisms um, that, that could be implemented if we, you know, taxed people who had billions of dollars, what we should be taxing them. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I am, I come from a, a place of privilege. Uh, I'm a I'm a baby boomer. I'm a middle aged white guy. I've certainly had 
uh, the opportunity to have white privilege my entire life. Uh, it's kind of embarrassing that uh, that my life has been so good when others don't have those same opportunities. Um, maybe we all have a generational uh, episode sometime, but but just a small segue is is I continue to read that that your generation really has the the cards stacked against you 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 unless something dramatic happens you will you will not have the opportunity to to earn at anywhere near the level that your parents or grandparents did you fewer millennials will own houses fewer millennials will have uh, new cars as frequently as as other generations and um the debt load with your generation is just uh, astronomic. Much of that uh, student loan debt, which is a whole other topic that ought to be addressed as from from a societal, from a government standpoint. If if we're going to bail out uh, large corporations that didn't plan and prepare and didn't have business continuity and disaster recovery strategies, um, we certainly ought to ought to um, take care of people that uh, that did their best to uh, improve their situation, to learn and to contribute to society and, and not burden them. I mean, I know people well into their 40s that still have significant uh, student debt. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've very fortunately um, was able, much like you came from a position of privilege, that I was able to to have some scholarships and avoid a lot of that burden. Um, I still ended up paying student loans for six or seven years after I graduated. Um, and I personally felt extremely fortunate that that was all that I had to pay was that because I'm, I'm in no people like you say, who, you know, they're my age and they're still nowhere close to being paid off on their student loan debt. Um, and it's it's absurd, especially as we also kind of are, are in that point in society where it's like almost everyone's expected to go to college, even people who don't really need or want to go to college. Um, everybody just goes and then continues to take on more and more debt. It's like a bigger portion of society then has that debt moving forward. Um, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty messed up situation. It is for sure. I uh, I know that uh, I saw saw recently that uh, uh, Joe Biden, Vice President Biden, the uh, Democratic uh, candidate uh, for president, uh, had a strategy to uh, knock ten thousand dollars off um, your student loan for each year of uh, public service, and there were some criteria for that up to five years, and. Um, I think that would be terrific, um, and that would uh, uh, possibly improve some public works. It smells suspiciously like an ideology that would come out of the New Green Deal that he says he's not in favor of. So um, uh, interesting dynamics going on. I hope we have to worry about those. Yeah, um, I agree. And uh, and see where we're at. There's 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 too much other uh, terrifying legislation on the board in Congress right now. That uh, if if worrying about that was the kind of thing that was going on, that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. We should be worrying about those things instead of uh, 
stacking the uh, Supreme Court in an unethical manner. I I, I agree, and um, I, I know we had mentioned um, the the Patriot Act earlier, and, and what's come of that, and there continues to be new legislation introduced trying to strip away um, additional privacy um, aspects of people's lives that, you know, I, there's, there's a handful of uh, bills proposed to Congress right now that I actually have bookmarked so I can periodically keep track of where they are at in the process because some of those are, are shaping up to be even, even worse and even more overt, I would say, um, in, in what they're trying to strip away. Yeah. So we, uh, we, we regularly, especially since nine 11 and especially since technology has, uh, has really become an everyday part of, of society. But, uh, our Congress critters, uh, constantly want to, want to have backdoor keys to all the uh, encryption channels. Well, just in case we need it, because somebody might do something bad, we will only use it if um, if somebody does something bad. And, and while I can't ever imagine, cannot ever imagine being in favor of that, what I'd like to have is a five-year period of time. Oh, hell, I'd take one year where collectively the government didn't do bad things. Mm -hmm. And if we could have a year with the government not breaking laws, then maybe we could circle back around and have conversations about the government having backdoor keys to things. I don't think I'd be in favor of it, but my point is we can't trust you. You have no track record of trust. You have no track record of doing the right thing. Why? Why do you think we would believe you when we when you say we will only use it if there's something bad and nefarious going on, when in fact all day every day you take other measures when there's not something bad or nefarious going on because you can. Yeah, and and I I agree a hundred percent. And on the flip side too. The idea of saying we're going to purposely build backdoors into something just so that the people who might need access can get it, that absolutely never pans out. Those those types of gateways into things never stay secret. Um, and, and we saw that years ago with the... Uh, um, the leak of all the hacking tools that the NSA used. So they had all sorts of things, all sorts of backdoors and, and zero days into things that weren't ever advertised that they used. That type of thing never stays secret. It gets out. And now to this day, we still have malware based on those tools, those vulnerabilities that they exploited that they didn't tell anybody about um, because it's such a huge burden to get some of those things fixed. And so, um, even the idea of saying we're going to put a backdoor into encryption just so that if if very specific circumstances arrive that law enforcement can get in, there's absolutely no way to ensure that law enforcement's the only group that knows about this. Um, it's it's going to fall into the wrong hands. Um, that's a big statement because you could very easily argue that law enforcement is the wrong hands in many of those circumstances. But even if we're pretending that's not the case, um, th there are plenty of other nefarious people out there who would love to get their hands on that sort of thing. And um, 
a lot of people are extremely determined and have a lot of resources who want to get to that sort of a backdoor. So even opening up that can of worms is just it's a pretty terrible idea as far as I'm concerned. I know we've gone off the rails as we normally do <laughs> to to maybe bring it back home to kind of close things out. So so to me, Corey Doctorow, anytime that I see something that pops up that's an article about him, uh, a podcast, I listen to that, or something on uh, YouTube, he's done a bunch of stuff with Edward Snowden, but but even more importantly, he he goes and speaks in person or virtually at at universities and think tanks and and all the places to to continue to talk about um, digital liberties, civil liberties, um, and all the things digital rights management. We didn't really even get into that. I know. I think we're going to have our friend Jody back and talk about digital rights. Uh, again, in the near future. So, um, really, a, a, a compelling guy. I'm I'm glad that I found him um, whenever I found him, and he has made me smarter every day that I read something from him or watch something. And these books, Little Brother, Homeland, and now Attack Surface, are. Um, are, are guides, they're, they're entertaining guides into how the world really works, and they're delivered in a manner to help you understand what is good, what is bad, and what impact this has on you and your family, and why you should pay attention. Yeah, and uh, just on top of that, I mean, obviously, he's a super smart guy. Uh, his heart's in the right place. He provides great information in a way that's digestible but honestly he's just like a really cool chill dude as well um i mean i know you've met him in person before i have you've you've emailed him a few times and he responds um, that, that, that's crazy john i mean like you just email him and sh- the dude writes back he like, just fucking writes back and i'm like it's crazy. Seriously, it's yeah. Crazy. Like the guy's got like something it's he's got like 300 and some i haven't looked in a long time. He had like 350,000 Twitter followers or something like that. He has replied to me on Twitter. If you look at his feed, it's almost like a full-time job just interacting with people. And yet he somehow still has time to do that across various social media platforms and email and release several books each year. I mean, it's it's absolutely insane, but you know, you can tell he he really kind of cares and he wants to be that person who interacts with that community that's kind of around him uh, and make sure that he kind of helps people and supports people and, and shows sort of his appreciation. Um, probably one of my favorite things since you had mentioned that um, a lot of his books you can just download for free from his website which is cool. Uh, when I was reading Little Brother, um, I'm not an audiobook guy like you. I like to, to read them. Uh, but I just grabbed the, the PDF of Little Brother off his website. And uh, he's got like a little blurb in there about how, hey, you know, I'm, I'm kind of trusting everybody that if you thought this was good, you might buy the book. And for anybody who's thinking, well, 
I'm literally reading it now, so I don't need to buy another copy just for myself. You know, you, you could do that. You could say, well, I want to buy a copy to, to support him, even though I've already read it. Um, he kind of has a cool idea, which is he uh, links to some resources that you can find uh, local libraries, schools, that kind of thing, and uh, has a, a pretty easy way that you can buy copies of the book for those um, institutions instead. If you're like, well, I'm reading it now. I don't need to buy a copy for me, but maybe I'll buy a couple copies for my local library, which is a pretty cool idea. So uh, it's funny you mentioned that, um, which is great. And so I have actually uh, bought some of these for two libraries, uh, oh, Little cool. Brother. Yeah. And and so um, so I got my uh, audio book of Attack Surface via his Kickstarter because I wanted to support that because he was trying to, to make a point about digital rights management um, and, um, so one of the things that, that is ultra compelling is like the, the biggest distributor on the face of the earth is for audiobooks is audible.com. They're owned by Amazon and they insist on digital rights management to, uh, in air quotes, protect the author's, uh, publishing rights. And, and he has tried without any success to say, I would like to distribute my books on your platform. Please make them without DRM. I, I am abdicating. I do not want to protect my rights. I want my people to be able to use my customers to uh, my, uh, my my readers to use the books on any platform that they see fit. Right. And and Amazon Audible won't budge. So who are they really protecting if if the author is willing to give up their rights to digital rights management uh, and they refuse as the, the, the distributor of that, who are they really protecting? They don't give two shits about exactly. Corey and the other authors. They're, they're protecting their revenue stream. They, they want to make sure more people have to subscribe to Audible to listen yep. to the book. Yeah, they, they don't give a rat's ass about the author. So this um, part of this Kickstarter was actually a test to prove that you could self-publish an, an audio book and do those things. And he certainly was very successful with that. It was, what was the, uh, do you recall the absurdly low number his Kickstarter was set to the goal? It was, it was like, uh, seven, I think it was $7,000. Yeah. Cause he, uh, he wanted, uh, basically I think the majority of it was to cover the, the voice actor, um, Amber Benson. Yes. Who he wanted to, uh, to do the recording. And that was the majority. Are you, I'm assuming you're pulling up what it ended at. Cause it was, Absurd. Yeah, it was absurd. So, so he ended up with six thousand two hundred eighty-three backers. That instead of the seven thousand ish uh, he was trying to get, he raised two hundred sixty-seven thousand six hundred and thirteen dollars. Yeah, that that seems like a success, I would say. And um, I've gotten daily updates from him after I did the Kickstarter, and he breaks it out. I don't have one handy, or I would kind of read it but but he goes through and these new district in in distribution models where he doesn't have to pay audible amazon first there's the digital rights management issue but secondly the cuts and so everybody on his side makes more money and he makes double the money 
by doing things like this, whether mm-hmm. it's ebook or the uh, audio recording of it. And and so once again, the Amazons of the world are are not helping uh, authors, writers, or or even the publishing companies. They're they're taking most of the profit themselves. Yeah, and I remember um, if I had thought beforehand, I would have looked it up to uh, to link it. But he uh, he had broken down on Twitter uh, what his publisher told him. Hey, if you don't cave and publish this on Audible, here's our estimates on the amount of money that you're going to lose because you're not going to successfully sell any ebooks yeah. outside of Audible. And, and they were basically telling him it was like. Um, it was something absurd. I, I'm, I'm making this up, so it could be completely wrong. But it was something like a third, maybe, of like the potential revenue of the overall book. They told him he wouldn't make if he didn't go through Audible. Yeah, and I don't remember, but but it, it was compelling math. It, it, it was, was yeah, it was a significant amount that you understand why most authors are like, "Well, shit, I have no choice. I'm gonna have to go through and do yep. it on Audible." Yeah, yeah. Plums wouldn't understand the math, but. But the the numbers are more than uh, nine, so he he would get very confused. Yeah. So um, as as we close up, so so um, I usually get a feeling after the end of the podcast and come up with a show name. Yeah. And uh, this is one of the few that that I had a name before we even recorded the podcast, and so. Um, when I was throwing some show notes together to kind of kickstart my ideas about what I wanted to talk about, um, I had a tune that popped in my head. And so it's it's the REM tune. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. And, and I feel like there's a segment of the population of the United States that are oblivious to all the things we just talked about. And the end of the world is coming. We we have social uh, injustice across a number of our citizens that's just morally and ethically wrong. We have a pandemic that a segment of the population doesn't believe is real, even though hundreds of thousands of people have died in the United States. Double of that are expected to die if we don't change our ways we're the smartest, richest country in the world, and we are the worst country. And it just kept bouncing in my head is that there are so many people out there that it's the end of the world as I know it, but I'm okay because um, I'm, um, I'm white and I'm not affected by this. I don't have COVID. I'm not affected by this. I don't care about other people and I'm not affected like this. And and so honestly when we when when we started thinking we were going to talk about Corey's books and Little Brother and and the overreach from the government across those three books um that just popped in my head is is it just I mean I didn't even think about it it just showed up there. Yeah, no that uh, that seems pretty fitting. Uh and I know we were we were chatting earlier today about uh uh, some of the people who have been kind of deniers of all the problems who then, you know, catch COVID and suddenly it's a serious thing. The uh, I just I just popped it into our, our notes for the episode as well. There's a great meme on the Internet that basically sums up 2020 and it's this this dog wearing like a little hat. And he's 
he's sitting at a table drinking coffee and the entire room is on fire and he's just like this is fine um, yeah and that's that's been a lot of 2020 is is kind of summed up in my mind by, by it, that mean it, it is but you know what we the journey to this attitude started well before 2020 and and you would hope that that watchings that watching somebody die while government official was kneeling on their head or hearing about government officials firing shots blindly into a apartment uh, building or all the different things or the pandemic you would you would think it would resonate with people and it it just doesn't yeah it's it's disheartening um and and it, it's it's kind of one of those things where at this point you don't know what it's going to take to make people kind of change their tune and take things a little more seriously. Um, I'm I'm not sure because almost every day at this point it feels like you you can look at the news and be like, how do people think this is okay? But it just it just persists. So it's uh, about ten days to election day when we're recording this. We'll uh, we'll get this published before election day. Um, this our our podcast won't influence anybody, um, but if you're listening to this and you haven't voted, you have to vote. Even even if you cancel out my votes, you have to vote. You have to participate. You have to make a difference. And and when you go vote, vote your conscience. Don't don't vote your wallet. Vote your conscience. And uh, and maybe. Maybe we'll come out on the other side of this thing uh, in 2021, and and we'll figure out how to to take the car out of its out of its spinning in circles and drive straight down the road, and 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 maybe the world will be a better place. I I guess we'll see. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting ten days that we have ahead of us. So uh, thanks to the the folks at Mad Tree and and the other brewers that. Uh, are making uh, every vote counts. Uh, the Mad Tree version was an outstanding uh, uh, hazy pale ale. I enjoyed it. It was good. It was good. I was really happy with it. I kind of uh, I grabbed the four pack. They didn't have it on draft uh, while we were there. It was gone from draft. But um, given the posters, I, I kind of wanted to try some just to support the idea of it. Uh, and then luckily, it turned out to be a really good beer too. So kind of a win win. All right. So John. We'll we'll go through this where you have all sorts of cool stuff and I don't. Where can people find you <laughs> on the internet? Oh man, uh, same same places as normal for me. Uh, my main website is still jfabhd.com. Uh, has a little blurb about me and all the awesome stuff I do online. Um, has a link there to uh, unusually.pink as well, which is my blog. Um, a lot of posts there, both from the Unusually Pink podcast days, and since then, I still continue to update that. I uh, made a new post there this morning, in fact, after I did some high-quality, really awesome uh, audio edit work uh, for some of our future podcast episodes that we're really excited about um, in the in the future. But um, yeah, if you go to jfabhd.com, uh, tell you about me, and then have links to all my other stuff. Uh, how about you, Mark? Where, where are people finding you? That that website's live now, right? The, the one you've been cr- working on? That Craft Brew Geek website's not live. <laughs> but craftbrewgeek.com will take you someplace. It'll take you to uh, some of my social media, and uh, Craft Brew Geek will, uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all the normal places, you can find me there. So uh, 
one of these years I will uh, we'll get that website up. I have this uh, this vision for uh, uh, it's kind of changed and uh, and kind of uh, using that uh, website both for the beer and the art stuff, but maybe um, uh, putting down some words uh, on some of the things that we talk about in terms of uh, of the world around us. So. Uh, I hope to I hope to get to that uh, sooner versus later. But like you said, uh, we work like dogs. I thought working from home would uh, it, it is nice in that I don't have to fight the traffic both ways, and that takes a huge load off. But uh, but the day starts early and it goes late. And uh, if you work for for the company we work for, uh, and you. Um, you set up meetings on my lunch hour. You suck. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm just amazed at the people look at my calendar and say, "Well, he didn't have any time available, so I'm gonna I'm gonna set up a meeting on his lunch hour." Don't even get a fucking lunch hour. <laughs> uh, I would say uh, I, I understand your pain. Uh, much much of mine is I, I would say more self inflicted. Um, I, I do tend to start kind of early, and then I do tend to get caught up in things and go late, and then. Uh, you know, after I finish work, I'll be like, oh, I really wanted to work on this personal project today. So I, I finish work doing air quotes that nobody can see. But then I do very similar things as I do at work for like the next two hours or so afterwards. So like last night, I, I wrapped up uh, where I was on a, a personal project that maybe I, I doubt I'll have it ready by next episode, but maybe the one after that. Um that I didn't finish that until about 9.30. And I started that right after I, I finished work, quote unquote, uh, at about 6.30. So I just sat at the same desk from about 7.30 to 9.30. And uh, yeah. Not to call you out, but I think we were talking about work even later than we, 6.30. I, I think we, we were also texting uh, about work stuff. Yeah, later later than that. And, and you know, it's easy to do that because you're, you're stuck at home as opposed to uh, – me finishing work and being like, well, I'm just going to go across the street to the bar instead of sitting at the same computer. So yeah, um, yeah there's, there's no commute, but uh, there, there's definitely still plenty of opportunity to do lots and lots of work. Good deal, man. Well, it's good seeing you again. Hopefully we yeah. can uh, continue to do uh, at least half of these uh, in person. Those are uh, more fun for sure. I, I think so. A little easier and uh, definitely less edit work which is really nice way less edit work <laughs> which which i appreciate uh, so uh hey man i'll see you next time all righty till next time okay.